Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, inner children of all ages. This is the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm Ed Krasnick, my partner Jennifer Kalari, coming on in just a minute. We are the show that looks at mental health. We talk about mental health uh, issues. We talk to comedians. We talk to entertainers. We talk to artists and people from all fields about their mental health. But then, because that would be enough. But then, no, we practice skills because mental health is a practice. It is something that you do every minute, every day. It's something to be aware of. It's amazing that it's still such a new thing, even though there are a lot of people with shows about it or you can't turn your your head to the right or left without seeing a podcast that's connected to mental health somehow. Still, it's not taught. We don't know what to do. We know about it. We know how we feel. We know how we think, but we don't know how to how to direct our own thoughts or feelings. And I laugh at that because I'm I'm the worst at it, which is why you'll be hearing from a professional, from somebody who actually has great skills and great insights, Jennifer Kalari, who has an organization called ConnectedParenting.com, ConnectedParenting.com. You know what's great right now, folks? We have a, a tremendous show uh, coming up, but I want to tell you that our guest today is a favorite of mine a great TV producer. I know her as, as a great TV producer because she co-created The Daily Show. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that is a big show. She's a Peabody Award winner, and she worked producing David Letterman, working with, with Dave. So pretty much the Hall of Fame there. Uh, you can't really get any better than that for TV. And it's Madeline Smithberg. And Madeline is going to join us shortly, and she has a whole new life. She has a cooking show called Mad in the Kitchen, and it's a YouTube show. You'll read about it a lot on social media, but she's been on the Today Show. She's like a regular on the Today Show with cooking, and so we're going to talk all about that. We're going to talk about the mental health of food, food and mood, and what goes along with food. Because in my family, it's, it's food and illness basically go together. Um, mm-hmm. My mother, this literally was true. I did this in my act for years, but it's absolutely true. My mother would make sandwiches and then give you the bad news. And she was like a guilt-ridden highlight player. She would give you the news underneath and then the sandwich on top. And it would be like, Ed, come on in the kitchen. I have very lean corned beef for you. You enjoying that, honey? Does that taste good? Great, because today your Aunt Rose had a massive stroke. (laughs) Just massive, huge, lot of pain. Now she's totally alone, lives just like a dog. More juice, honey? Have some juice, honey. And it would be a choreography that would take place. Also storytelling with a who's who of despair. Like my relatives were crazy, old school Jewish family. And wall of bread, a carbohydrate conveyor belt. My father would start to say something and my mother would shove bread down his throat. (laughs) She was like a bazooka bread gun. It was like everything was, I've said it before, I, I can't tell you how much is going on aside from food. So there's the food and then there's the, there's all of the, the emotions. And in my family, in my life growing up, 
food was used as something to numb myself. If I had a feeling or a thought that I didn't, I didn't know what it was, uh, I would just eat a box of crackers. <laughs> it was actually pretty, wasn't good. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a happy thing. Although I had, you know, I had good TV and I had good snacks because I would make my mother buy the, you know, the latest snack. At one point we were eating uh, space food sticks, which was basically the food the astronauts ate. But if you were a kid, you were excited to peel the space food sticks and eat them. Um, at any rate, so there's a lot of emotion that goes with food. I, you know, want to talk about that a little bit. Food, food and mood and how you feed yourself. Because I think if you look at how you feed yourself, it's sort of indicative of how you take care of yourself. And in my case, I should be in a rest home. There's no rhyme or reason behind the consciousness of how I, how I eat. I don't even want to go there. So Jennifer, now food and mood, food and emotion, how people feed themselves, you know, mental health and, you know, mental health nutrition, all of these kind of factors play in. And I, I just wonder how you deal with this with the, with the clients that you see, if this is something sure. that comes up. Yeah. Oh, it does. Absolutely. I mean, certainly in my role when I'm doing parent coaching and parent therapy, it, it comes up with kids being really picky, right? So a lot of really oversensitive, highly sensitive, deep thinking, big feeling kids are sensitive to everything food included. So they taste things that other people don't taste and they taste bitterness and they're it's, it's quite a thing and it can really be upsetting for families and kids learn pretty quickly. I can make my parents really happy if I eat and I can make them really unhappy if I don't eat. I would also say that, although it's probably different during the pandemic a little bit, but prior to that, families weren't really sitting down and eating together. They were eating in the van while they were driving here and there. Food is really a time where people join and they connect and they nurture each other, you know, soulfully and in terms of connection as well as just the food itself. Um, and then we have all our own history with food, like you were talking about with your family. There's there's whole cultural things with food. There's relationships with our own families and food. And, and, you know, throw a little social media in there with young adults and how you're supposed to look and not look. And that adds a whole other layer of stress to it. So it's very complicated. I would say the biggest thing I tell parents is to be really neutral around food. Because if you get really invested and really upset or really happy, you can create some issues. Yeah, it, it what what you put a charge into, that's that's right. You just kind of have to let it go by. And it, it is a great opportunity, you know, you don't have to be a, a monk or anything like that or a, a heavy meditator, but it is an opportunity to stop and slow down mm -hmm. and take a breath and take care of yourself and be conscious mm -hmm. and be grateful. I mean, there's so many things that you can do around food. Now, I do none of them. <laughs> I am I am running like I'm at a fire. I will eat standing up. You know what? My family is uh, the Kravznik family crest is a man and a woman standing over a kitchen sink polishing off a box of doodads. That is literally <laughs> my family. Um, so Ed, that that is really a very that's a huge thing in North America. Like w North Americans eat very quickly. They're not conscious eaters. Right? They're just eating to like fill themselves or eating because they have no time and they got to eat quick. But actually slowing down, you and I talk about all that, that all the time on the show, of just being present, being in the now, pay attention to where you are. And eating is no different. Slow down, taste the food, relax. Don't, don't just, you know, shove it in your mouth waiting for the next bite. It's actually the taste that you're going for. Yeah, that's right. And, 
it, it is an opportunity to um, to be calm mm-hmm. and to you know reflect and to to do all those things. And I think living in a consumer society in a consumer culture, you're 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 there to consume. Also, the way you eat, you know. I mean, they, there's a philosophy that says you eat small meals all throughout the day. So you're not starving. You know, you're not hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way to do it. Nutrition is a whole other thing. But if you think about nutrition, what is mental nutrition? What is mental nutrition? You know, what are you putting into your head? Are you watching Homeland right before you go to bed? Yeah. Um, and yeah. you're not a bad person for doing that. But don't wake up in the morning and feel like crap and think that I don't know how that happened. <laughs> you know, you watched Homeland and it affects your well-being, you know? Sure. And, and I talk about emotional nutrition all the time with the families that I work with, yeah. right? The 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 connection and the, the serotonin, the beautiful biochemicals you're getting from just being present with each other and enjoying each other is, is emotional nutrition, which, which supports everything. Because often people, if people do end up eating emotionally, it's to fill a void. Right. right. It's still a hole. Or if you don't eat properly, it's because you don't think you deserve it. You don't love yourself enough to take care of yourself. So it's very, very complicated. Our relationship with food is very complex. And is there is there a trick or is it not a trick, but is there some practice that you can just kind of shift gears and you can just say, I'm not at a fire right now. Um, yeah. There's just enough time eat. for me. Right. Well, I, one of the biggest things is stop eating like like there's, you know, lack for most of us. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who really struggle with this and that's a whole other story. But if you are, you know, just denying yourself food and trying to count calories and then later you crack and then eat them all, um, you create this idea of lack. And as soon as you have lack, the brain wants to just take what it can before it's gone. Right. So even just looking at whatever's in your cupboard and just saying, it's not going anywhere. It's there. I can replace it or it's going to be there later. I don't have to look at that and think I have to get an hour. It's going to be gone. Right. Right. Even just doing that sort of changes that frantic nature and then slowing down, just slow down, take, pay attention to the flavor, be grateful that you have food, you know, take a minute to just be present in what you're doing. And it, it sounds so simple, but you make enormous biochemical changes in your brain when you just slow down and become kind of aware and grateful for what you're doing and for what you have. So it really is an op- it really can be an opportunity, but I think this lack thing, really the belief of lack creates mm-hmm. a lot of issues mentally, a lot of issues emotionally in your in your life. Yeah, it happens with money. Happens with it happens all over the place. But right. food is a is a particularly powerful place where you'll see it. Yes, I was uh, I was known as Mister Lack. Uh, I was the king of lack for a few years, and uh, and I was Mister Lackluster. But right now, I want to bring in our guest who has been patiently waiting. I worked with her as a TV producer, and she was amazing. But she has a whole new life now, a whole new career. And her show is called Mad in the Kitchen. You can see it on YouTube. You can find it on social media. You can also see her on the Today Show, where she appears in a regular way. And she is none other than Madeline Smithberg. Madeline, you know, you're in Seattle, first of all. And secondly, you've completely changed your life since we worked together. Uh, yes. Hi, Ed. Hi. 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 <laughs> Ed, I have to say it's so nice to hear your voice and how your mind works. And I've just been really enjoying the conversation you've been having. Yes, I went through a, a kind of seismic 
life change. It happened over the past four years. I ended up in Seattle where I don't know if you guys have heard it rains quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in uh, the winter months. So I'm adjusting to that, but I ended up rekindling a romance with a man who broke my heart in New York City in 1986 and then found me on Facebook. Wow. Yeah, that's a movie. That's a movie. I'm one of those people that has to defend Facebook even when they're letting, you know, like neo-Nazis plan their congregations. I'm fine with that because on a personal note, it's been very good to me. It balances Uh, out. Yes, they found me love (laughs) and they found Nazis. The the two of those are great. Now you, so you reconnected and you, you had this and then, and, and doesn't your husband work with you as well? I mean, don't you guys do something? He is camera one. My husband's name is Sam, Sam Packard. I'll I'll tell you a little bit that sort of the trajectory of it. I moved here. It'll be uh, four years, April 1st. He said he had come to see me in New York. I was working on a show, uh, National Geographic Explorer, and he came to visit me and he said, I don't know what I was ever thinking. You know, when your job is over, will you move to Seattle? And I said, yes. There wasn't even like a breath. And then I realized, wait, I've never been there. I should probably go check it out. But it was too late because I had a verbal contract and I'm good for my work. Wow. And so... I moved here with my mother. My mother turns 90 on February 21st. I brought my mom. She's in assisted living. And we both moved uh, to the Pacific Northwest. And I was, you know, I had been developing. And that's where I met you, like producing TV shows and uh, living in Los Angeles. And I got here and I noticed something. uh, Aside from the rain, not a lot of TV. There was a lot of tech. Right. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called Amazon or there's one called Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To love the rain. That's all I can figure out because they're all here. But not a lot of like what you and I were uh, doing when we were working together. And so I, I, a voice inside of my head, I was about to turn 60, said, Madeline, you need something new. But I didn't really know what that was going to be. So I just knew I needed something new and my mind was open, but I really didn't have any plans to, you know, aggressively or consciously create anything new. I just knew that it was a possibility. And then Sam gave me a a cooking class for Christmas and I've always loved food. My parents took me to Europe when I was 12 and I ate something in France that involved a small bird uh, and grapes. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it literally, not literally, because that would be ridiculous, it changed my body chemistry. And from that moment on in the movie that I'll never make, opera music played. And, uh, you know, from that nanosecond on, every morning of my life, I've woken up planning what I'm going to cook, which is great for people around me, but also a tiny bit scary. But but it does a lot for you. You're excited. I imagine your 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 emotional state is is really happy. You're great. You love cooking. You love planning cooking. You're yep. thinking cooking. I love the ingredients. It gives me something both in the in the present and in the near future. Up until very recently, you guys, it was just a hobby. 
it was a really pleasurable hobby. I would plan what I was going to make for dinner. I would source the ingredients. I would cook the dinner. And the process of cooking gives me tremendous joy. And the process of feeding that finished product to people around me also gives me tremendous joy. And I, Mm -hmm. having spent a lot of time in Europe, my family always ate together. We always slowed down. We had arugula before anyone here knew what it was. We always ate our salad after the meal, like Europeans. We never used bottled salad dressing. And it was, there was like a ritualistic experience. It was just a part of who I was. And when I, you know, had my son, I just sort of brought that into our own routine. Well, you know, Phil Rosenthal is a friend of ours. He's great. And he has the show. Yeah. You know, Somebody Feed Phil, which is so terrific on Netflix. But his his stuff is about exposing people to travel and food. You're cooking the food. You're actually making the food. And it's a little bit different. And you have a show, Matt in the Kitchen. Now, I wonder, are, are you, now that's your name, Madeline, but how mad are you in the kitchen? <laughs> I would say I'm mad not in an angry way, but just in a little bit of a kooky way. But both, mostly it's just a descriptive term of where I, Madeline Smithberg, am while I'm shooting the videos. And where is Madeline? She's in the kitchen. Oh, Mad's in the kitchen. It's Mad in the kitchen. And right. that came up. Uh, at a girls' weekend in Palm Springs where I made a big dinner and everybody ate. And they all said, oh, you should do a show. It should be called Mad in the Kitchen. And that was like six years ago. So Sam uh, gives me this cooking class. I'll take you back, to bring you up to date. And uh, I take something called Knife Skills. And it's very informative and very interesting. And the chef, I know, and everyone says, he must really have trusted you. (laughs) (laughs) Basically cutting celery and carrots for 90 minutes. And the chef is teaching it is wonderfully knowledgeable and very great, sweet gentleman, but Ed, not a comedian. So I, you know, the producer and me said, we need a little bit of something here. And so (laughs) I started just being silly and making the people laugh. And at the end of the class, he said, uh, have you ever taught cooking? I run a cooking school in Seattle. We do corporate team building events. You have a great personality, clearly love food, and we can train you. And then I embarked on my pivot. It happened. Wow, I, that's I, amazing. Yeah. I left myself yeah. open for, to it, and it happened. And I went from, one might say, the top of one field <laughs> to the very bottom of another. That's so good for you, though. That's so good. Yeah, I- you change, and and obviously, you know, you love it. You're passionate about it. I mean, you love to, you know, you love TV and you love entertainment too. But, but this is a whole different, you know, a whole different world. And Jennifer, you know, is this a time to actually use the idea of cooking to connect people to their families and to connect them to how they take care of themselves? Yeah, I mean, I was listening to what Madeline was saying about dinner and slowing down and conversation and taking your time. Like dinners in Europe, they're they're events. They, they last a long time. Where often in North America, it's you shovel the food in your face and get up and run to your devices, right? And there's a reverence for food. And there's an appreciation of food. And there's so much love that goes into the cooking of the food. And that just becomes part of the environment. And listen, I got to tell you, kids and anyone who's listening to the parent, kids are a nightmare right now. Like they're, they're not engaged in school. They're bored. Everything's online. They're struggling. Even kids who are good students are really getting surly and upset. And there's so much you can be teaching your kids during the pandemic, cooking being one of them. 
Right? And not just, right? Like this is, you can take this over Madeline, but th- there's, and you're transferring knowledge from generations and, and appreciation for the earth, everything from planning your ingredients to cooking, to, to grow. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal time to be teaching your kids about the really, really important basic things that we clearly lost track of before. And I hope we can make some good out of, you know, this nightmare that we're all in. And that could be one of them. I think it's really good. And I remember my mother teaching me to make an omelet when I was about 10. And so when my son was about 10, I was like, all right, Harry, time to learn frittata. So we kind of like, we had the saying where every Sunday morning we would make a frittata and he enjoyed it. And then one day he said, how about if you just make the frittata and I go watch TV? And I said, okay, okay, I get it. I didn't want to push him into it. Uh, But I'll just take you to the rest of the story. So I I become a chef. I'm Chef Madeline. I get it embroidered on my my coat. And I'm teaching these corporate team building classes. And I'm burning myself and I'm hurting myself. (laughs) I'm getting insulted and called a home chef with disdain. Uh, And then there's so many, no, she's a home chef. Home cook, even work. And then the, every session was like little competitions. You you compete against the other chefs with your teams. And after about seven months, I started winning regularly. Not every time. No one wins every time. But I started really. And that gave me such a boost that I could. I, it, it was almost like if there was an EKG, you could see it flattening out. Not in a bad way, because this isn't a heart EKG. It's a mood EKG. And it just, I, I, I plateaued in a great wow. way. And I felt comfortable. Then I was, I turned 61 past September, this past September, uh, whatever horrible year is, 2020. And I said to myself, Madeline Smithberg, look at you. Sam had proposed. We were planning a wedding and I was Chef Madeline. I said, you're 61 years old. You've pivoted and you are marrying the love of your life on a beach in Mexico. Proving you should never say stuff like that out loud because (laughs) (laughs) then came COVID. The place I was working shut down like the end of February and our wedding was supposed to be March 21st. Well, guess what didn't happen? Yeah. We went to in front of a judge on the last day you could and then COVID came and we were on, I was in, I was in my honeymoon during like lockdown not romantic. I was, I got really depressed. I think a lot of people got really depressed, but I got super depressed because my wedding was canceled, you guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and my pivot was, uh, you know, cut short. Canceled. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. I was laying on my couch in my sweatpants and something inside of me, I don't know what it was. I don't know why I listened, just told me to get up. And I went into the kitchen and I called Sam with gestures mostly because I was so depressed I could hardly talk. And I said, here's my phone. I'm going to make some pasta. You're going to shoot it on my phone. And we're going to put it on YouTube. And on that day, Matt in the Kitchen was born. <gasps> I love it. It needed to be born right then because so many more people were now stuck at home needing to take care of themselves and learn what you had to teach them. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it, it's just skyrocketed. You guys like it keep join, volunteering their time. I now have like a team of almost 10 people, three or full time, full time. We're, you know, we do TV shows all over the place. 
we do, we started doing live Zoom cooking. I did 150 educators across the country. Last Monday, I did 60 Amazon executives. Last Thursday, that was a four course meal. And I sent them all the food all packaged up with like chef hats and bubbles party in the box that you can find on madinthekitchen.com. But it just took off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised at any of this because the, your energy and the tone of voice that you have, even when you're talking about it, is so alive and your energy is alive. I've seen the show. It's great. You're great. And your energy is so alive that it makes you feel good just to watch it, just to connect with it. My whole intention is to make it positive and fun. Fun and delicious are my adjectives. Oh, I love it. And Ed, you'll like this. I'm sort of bringing comedy. I'm keeping the comedy alive. And I used to produce all the cooking segments on Letterman in the late 80s. And now I'm producing myself. That's it's phenomenal. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing it for somebody else, you're doing it. I mean, Letterman is the greatest of all time, but you know, there's a lot, it's very challenging to produce, you know, these segments, but when you're hosting it, it actually, like, you don't have that, that disconnection with the host where you're serving them and you're serving the audience here. You're, you're actually able to take part yourself and drive it the way you want to do it and have your own sense of humor and not have the, the editing or the, uh, you know, you don't have to stop. However, I'll, I'll say this, we can talk about this. When you're doing the Today Show and you have four minutes, it's very challenging. It's very difficult to do. It's not easy. The other thing I always wondered about, like cooking show hosts, is like Martha Stewart is she's got the timing in her head and she's able to adjust her voice because she knows there's a break coming up. And it just, she takes you to the break. Everything is like very coordinated and timed. And you're also cooking. Like I'm a stand-up. I have to be worried about the jokes and about my act, but I don't have to present a, a casserole to somebody at the end of it. No. And if you do, I hope you remember your oven mitt because I burnt my fingers on national television last oh, week. Oh I mean, God. I... I just was in the moment. They were rapping. I in my ear. I'm hearing the control room going. Well, we need you to wrap it up. We need you to wrap it up. And I went to pick up the platter, and I heard something searing. And I looked oh. down, and you know, I can be. I'm in the witness production program now, involuntarily. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. It's the hand protection program. I, I think I actually saw that. That is uh, really challenging and crazy. And, you know, producing a cooking show and hosting a cooking show is a lot different than cooking. It's a whole separate thing. Yeah, but for me, I feel like it's my life has come full circle because I've been a producer for 30 years who loved to cook. And now I'm able to take all of the skills that I learned producing for yeah. other people and just sort of like focus them on me. And I understand sort of easily without stressing the mechanics of the production, which is kind of a leg up. Has this changed the way that you take care of yourself? Like your life has, has changed. Were you not a single parent? I think you were a single yeah. parent. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a single parent who had, a. there was always somebody living in my house to help me out with stuff. So I wasn't like rushing to come home because the house was going to be empty. But I was a single and my ex-husband, you know, lived in Los Angeles and 
we shared custody. So it wasn't like, don't put me in that category. I don't deserve to be of the working single mom that did it alone. I'm not like Barack Obama's mother. Right. But I was alone at the top in that my husband, my ex-husband, and I disagreed uh, on a lot of things when it came to discipline and raising a child. And so I did feel very much alone, even though in terms of the practical things, there was always food in my house. You know, the lights were on, the heat was on. He was not a latchkey kid. You know, you talked about pivoting, you know, making this big pivot, which is a, you know, a term that a lot of people are familiar with. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you you constantly have to think of those kind of things. Jennifer, I'm wondering, taking care of oneself emotionally, mm-hmm. you know, mental health wise, we have to do a lot of pivoting. We have to figure out, Mm -hmm. you know, what's working and what's not working. Do you uh, work with people to figure out how to do that? I mean, we always talk about your thoughts and how you can drive your brain differently, how you can be aware of your brain. That's kind of like pivoting, isn't it? It is. It is. And I I was struck by, Madeline, when you were talking about your depression. Yeah. I mean, obviously, depression is something to be concerned about, and it is a real thing, and it's awful. But there's another way to look at it, and that's, it's sort of like... If you imagine a rocket ship on the launch pad, just building up all of that energy and all that it's going to need to propel upward, when you're kind of in a depression, it's like all of that stuff is is staying inside you and you're not moving. It's almost like hibernating. Yeah. 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 And you can sort of think of depression sometimes, uh, certain types of it for sure as almost like a portal, like it, it's build, it's the building up of energy that's going inward on you instead of actually coming out. And whatever got you off the couch that day and said, get your camera, we're going to create something really amazing. We certainly all have that. You know, a lot of people really struggle. A lot of young people today really struggle with purpose. Like, what is my purpose? What, what can I be doing? But, and that's a whole other conversation. But what I loved about that is, is you put all of that energy that was literally consuming you into forward motion and look what came of it, right? So anyone who is really sad and depressed out there, I mean, obviously listen to all of our episodes and what to do and how to think and how to change your mind and certainly get help and support, but you can look at it like a portal that's building up. It's a buildup of energy that's going to propel you into something if you're willing to take that step, which Madeline, you took. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it. When I look at it now, I don't know how I ever did get up off the couch. And by the way, I never brushed my hair. When you look at my first episode. Even better. Mm -hmm. That's a key. You didn't think to brush your hair? Like, I'm like my own Jewish mother. I'm like, you left the dishes in the sink? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that, though, because you just did it. You didn't waste any time with with the technicality. Like... You had to do it. And, you know, this is something that's, it's very strange. The thing about depression is you beat yourself up for it. You think you're depressed and there's something wrong with you. And then you, you know, you say things that are very punishing to yourself. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've I've often done that. And that's kind of what seals you in. That's kind of like what keeps you down. If you can ask yourself a question, if you can just say, I'm, you know, I'm okay, I'm doing this. What can I do? What can I do? Is there anything that I can do? What do I love? It's strange to respond to depression that way. What do I love? Yeah. What would make me happy right now? And what has made me happy in the past? And the other thing I think 
you know, when I have been depressed at other times in my life. And there's different kinds of depression. And this was real circumstantial depression. Yeah, I was just going to say that was an acute, like there was a reason for it. We'll we'll circle back in a, in a second to people who are really struggling with different kinds of depression. But yeah, this was not clinical depression. This was, I lost my job and my wedding was canceled and the whole world was under a, a pandemic and Donald Trump was our president, that kind of depression. Yeah. 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 I think there's textbooks written about it. There is. That's a, that's a long title for a show. It is a long title for a text. But I do think for myself, when I feel that way, it it always comes down to one thing, and it's just put one foot in front of the other. And so it's just do something, anything. If I even take a walk around the block, if I go to the supermarket, if I just snap myself out of it by doing something, chances are by the time I start doing that thing, I forget that I'm feeling bad. Yeah. That's, that's really huge for situational depression for acute. And, and what you really were in that time was just profoundly sad. That was very sad. And sadness and depression feel the same. It's just with depression, there's, they can, and which is part of what you were talking about, Ed, when you're really depressed, part of the voice in the head is I don't even have a reason to be depressed. Like what's wrong with me? And you hate yourself even more. So people really struggling with the, the clinical part, the really heavy kind of chemical piece of it along with what Madeline was saying, like, so maybe the thing you do is you sit up, right? Or you stand up for five minutes or go wash your face and then go back to bed. As long as you're trying to stay in some kind of motion, right? you're at least moving forward. And that's something to be very, very proud of because a lot of people who don't have depression, you know, what's the big deal getting in the shower, big deal. Well, you know what? Try doing that if you've just had horrendous, you know, catastrophic news. You've just lost half your family and someone says, oh, take a shower. You'll feel better, right? Mm. Like it doesn't work that way. So if you can just get up, sit up in your bed, make some tea, be proud of yourself because that's not easy to do when you're literally, I had a teenager describe it to me earlier this year because a lot of teens are really struggling. And what started out as kind of acute sadness is turning into actual depression for a lot of young people. But she said, it's like trying to do anything with a, with a, brick wall on your chest yeah right yeah i often describe it as that uh the the lead poncho they put on you at the dentist Mm -hmm. it's so heavy that i feel sometimes when i get depressed or sad that i'm i have a whole outfit like made out of that and I'm just moving through life, schlepping this giant leaden poncho. That's a good description. And also looking, a lot of people will say it feels like you're like looking at other people's lives through like a thin, like a thick glass. Like you see people laughing, you see people happy, but you can't connect to it. And it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, the, all the energy is going one way and it's, it's all being kept in. But it is, it is all, you know, potential energy. And what you tell yourself in that state is critical for your, for your health. Because if you notice yourself saying, you know, hurtful things to yourself, and often that is the case, see if you can just be aware of that and just say, maybe I'm just going to, you know, let that go for, the, for a minute. And just see how that feels. Because I always felt like there was a hand pushing my body down. And yeah. then I realized it was my own hand. Yeah. Like it was me. Yeah. And I could, you know, I could I could shift these kinds of things. You know, a lot of people struggle with, with depression. But I think it's the self-abuse that goes with it. 
it's very difficult because anxiety, which is also miserable, there, there are strategies you can use and you actually feel like using the strategies because you don't want to feel like this anymore. Depression is, you know, if you think about emotions being on a, like a scale, like music, right? The highest notes are joy and you know, being ecstatic and creating and, you know, you know, inspiration. And then the lowest notes, the heaviest notes is depression, right? So, and above depression is sadness and above sadness is anger, but at least with anxiety and with anger, you want to do something, right? Depression, you're just flat out, like I, there's nothing to do. And depression is, you know, it's, it's there because, you know, thousands of years ago when we were chased or we were prey and something was chasing us, there was, there's a natural switch at a certain point when there's enough pain or emotional pain or fear that you just go, you know what, forget it. Fine. Attack me. I don't care. Like something's chasing you. You just give in, you just surrender. And that's, that's really what depression is. And, and there's very, there aren't a ton of strategies when you're really depressed because the voice in your head says, don't do any strategies. You don't deserve any strategies. You deserve to be right here, miserable and hating yourself. And so what I often do when I work with my clients and particularly my young people is, is go inward to it. It sounds so crazy, but like just lean into it and just let yourself feel that way and acknowledge this is how human beings feel when they're at the sort of deepest point of sadness stop fighting with it. Stop fighting with yourself. Just kind of let that feeling sit in you. Do that for a few minutes and then try to find one thing, one tiny thing, like my pajamas are comfortable or the root temperature in the room isn't too bad, or, you know, this small thing is okay. And then you just cause your mind very slowly without getting the depression's attention. Try to find other things to focus on over time. And just keep with it and keep with it until you start to move yourself slowly out of it. It's it's a very frightening and terrible place to be in. As a parent, it's, an, it's a terrible thing to watch your child go through. And what parents often do is they go in there and go, what are you doing? Come on, just go for a walk. That's going to help you. And think of all the good things in your life. And there's lots of people with worse things happening. And if that's the worst thing you can do to someone is depressed because now they feel guilty on top of feeling depressed. So often it's best and it's so difficult to do for a loved one, but just soothe them. Just sit there. Sometimes just sit there and don't say anything. Just be present, right? Then, then yeah. you can offer tea or, hey, what do you need? And, but don't pull, try to pull them out of it. And that's very painful for the person you know, who loves this person going through it. But that, I mean, that's really the best thing to do. Gravity blankets are great. Love those. I would say the Dick Van Dyke show is- Dick Van Dyke show is great. Yeah, it's very good because it's very soothing. Old television theme songs are soothing. Yeah. They really are. As soon as sure. look, the Brady Bunch isn't Shakespeare, okay? But when you hear that theme, you relax. It's so funny Ed, that you uh, you say this because when I was in fourth grade, I was nine years old, and I now look back and I realize I must have been depressed. But for six weeks, I held a, a thermometer on the light bulb, and I would, and then I would shake it down to 101, and it was all so I could stay home and watch the Dick Van Dyke show. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and then everything that was with it, Bewitched and uh, sure. Petticoat yeah. Junction and Green Acres and I Dream of Jeannie, they were all on in a block in the morning in New York. I remember all of them. Yeah, the classics. I didn't want to miss it, and- uh, so I missed six weeks of school. And later, I, when I was an adult, I said to my mother, why did you let me do that? And she said, clearly you needed to. Oh. 
Oh, uh, your mom is very Maybe wise maybe. and happy birthday upcoming to her. She's very, that's a very wise answer. That's a sage well, answer and something you could say to yourself also. Absolutely. And that's why kids now with Disney and YouTube, they can go back and find their shows. They watched it when they were at a happier time. And that could be very comforting, very soothing. Yeah. There's nothing, yeah. you know, the intention of you need it. Maybe you need to do some of these things. Maybe it's a way, you know, you're trying to cope and, you know, we have all different kinds of ways of doing it and no, you know, sometimes they're not the best for you, but the intention is the same. You're trying to cope. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to take care of yourself. It's interesting too, because in many cultures, depression is not looked at as a, an illness or something that's wrong with you. It's looked at something that's wrong either with the culture around you or as uh, that you're in need of a mentor or that it's a portal to something else. I mean, our culture has a you know very specific look at it and wants you to just take a pill. And sometimes taking a pill is, is a very important part of how to get better. But even just looking at it as what's my body trying to tell me, what is this feeling actually? And, and a lot of depression comes from just trying to run away from the feelings. Where it, and Ned, we talk about this all the time. Feelings are indicators. They're, it's your emotional GPS. If you ignore them, they will get bigger and louder until you listen. And sometimes that's what depression is. I'm going to make you sit down. I'm going to make you stay right here and feel this and listen. That's a really good point. It's a big point. It's a big point and something that's not not promoted that much. Mm -hmm. uh, resistance is a big part of uh, part of pain and part of suffering. And you can read my book, uh, Resistance is the Way. It's the Ed Krasnick story. <laughs> Madeline, you know, we started with cooking. We started, we heard a, a great story, a story of pivoting, a story of your life, and we end with depression. So that's what we do. We take it up and we take it down. We're not afraid to. It's a roller coaster. But tell us about Mad. Before we leave, tell us where we can watch uh, Mad in the Kitchen and what we should look out for. Okay. Well, my YouTube channel is called Mad in the Kitchen, just like it sounds. M A D. I-N-T-H-E-K-I-T-C-H-E-N. It's also my website. Please subscribe. I need subscribers. That's what I need. And what I really try to do is combine my love of food and my excitement at the simple pleasures of creating food for yourself. I try to make it really unintimidating. So it's just like you and me cooking together in my kitchen, making food and laughing and I also try to, I don't even try it. They're just funny. I always forget things. I drop things. I, uh, I comment on life. I've been told that my videos are very funny. I have a website that gives you the whole story. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, which is very embarrassing for my son. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt and the kids. And I'm really just having the time of my life and I'm building this empire. And the funny part of it is that I've done it all without ever leaving my house, except for a couple of trips to the supermarket. So it's been a very surreal experience. And sometimes I do feel a little guilty that I'm having so much success and forward motion during this time when so many people are just, you know, trapped and sad and it's, you know, it's obviously the larger societal and global implications are not hilarious. 
Mm-hmm. But what I do try to do is take some of that off of you and give you a space where you can just relax and have fun. And you can either cook along and make the recipes or you can just watch me. It seems to be striking a chord with the people. I love it. Well, I want to thank you for coming on today and thank you for taking a ride with us. And thanks, Jennifer. That was really interesting the way we sort of flipped it over and, uh, and some interesting things about depression. You know, we don't talk purely about depression sometimes, but mm-hmm. there's a place for it. Feeding yourself, feed a cold, uh, feed a depression. I don't know, but it really is. It really is true. A lot of people can relate to that. So thank you as always, uh, Jennifer. Amazing. Oh, amazing. We have a couple products. I, I really want to say that You'll, and you'll like this too, Madeline. Uh, we have the Mental Health is Hot pot holders. <laughs> uh, you got to send me one, Ed. <laughs> well, we're going to get them made. You know, we're, we're, we're putting them together. But Mental Health is Hot pot holders is just a great reminder that uh, mental health is hot. <laughs> and so is, and so, is the, so is the oven and so is your pan that you're holding. So why not have pot holders that will be useful and be a good reminder? So Mental Health is Hot Pot Holders. And also a mental health comedy coloring cookbook I love is called uh, If You're Still Alive, Everything Else is Gravy. And, it, it's, and it's got sauces. It has recipes. I mean, I'm telling you things that we're doing. This is all in development, but it's this coming shortly. really good. I think that's going to catch on and be huge for you. Yeah, I think it's a huge thing. I think it could be. Food and coloring. Yeah. <laughs> Go hand in hand. You have to. You have to. And and please subscribe wherever you can and listen to us wherever you want. But you can also go to Make Light Media, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, one word, media.com, and go to connectedparenting.com, connectedparenting.com, to find out all about Jennifer's work, more great media, more podcasts, more books, and all of the techniques and tools that she talks about here on this show, you can find more and more on ConnectedParenting.com. So thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves no matter where you're at. Have a great week. Have the best week that you can. Everything's turning around now. It's turning around. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasick for Jennifer Kalari and Madeline Smithberg. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.